Welcome to The Art of Curation, Flipboard show about the art and science of selection. I'm your host, Mia Qualiarello. I'm a curator, community manager, and Flipboard's head of creators. Each episode, I interview tastemakers from different fields who excel at the art of curation. How do they get started? How do they organize themselves? How do they curate for impact and more? Because if you think about it, curation is everywhere. Whether it's a museum exhibit, a conference, or your social media feed, curation is the DNA that makes or breaks experiences. Today, I'm talking to Ozi Uduma, the Assistant Curator of Global Contemporary Art at the University of Michigan. Ozi brings a fresh voice to the art of curation and has been tagged by a good friend in the art world as one to watch. So I didn't hesitate to call her up. So you're an assistant curator of global contemporary art at the University of Michigan. Yep. And that remit, global contemporary art, sounds really huge. Yeah. So how do you begin to define what you need to be communicating as a curator within this topic? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think a part of my work is to look at how artists are using their their craft to speak to the times that we're living in. Um, how are they thinking about what it means to document everything from climate change to immigration, um, the everyday human experience? And so um, my kind of role is to look at what our museum has historically focused on and maybe in, and in some regards attempt to fill in the gaps or attempt to expand the conversation. Um, I should say that, there are four curators, all of us are women. Of the four of us, three of us focus on a global lens. So we have uh, a curator of African art, a curator of Asian art, and then me who focuses on kind of like a global look. But our, also our curator of photography, she also looks both in the U.S. and then outside of, outside of the U.S. as well. So yeah, so I think my role is to look to see how how I can champion artists who are expanding the art historical narrative, um, expanding on how we're thinking about social issues or, or just even contemporary arguments in um, history of art um, and hopefully show that to our audience and, and introduce our audience to these artists and their, and their worlds that they encompass. What does the day-to-day look like for you? a lot of research. And it all depends because I'm in a situation where I'm working on a lot of special projects right now. So it's a lot different from the time where I am always in exhibition mode, trying to figure out everything from researching the works that I want to go on display to, um, editing labels or writing labels. Um, having conversations with my fellow curators to say, Hey, do you know about this artist or do you know about this time period? Because I'm not, I'm not too familiar with it. Do you mind giving me some, some handy guides to read? Yeah, that's mostly my days. I I spend because of the pandemic, I've spent a lot more time reading than I would have when we were in person pre pandemic. What does a successful exhibit at the university of Michigan look like? I think for us, we've been trying to redefine what success looks like. I think outside of having visitors come in, um, it's allowing the space for folks to be curious, um, 
to be excited about something that they didn't know, or maybe that they had a wrong impression about, um, to help expand a conversation, to help start a conversation, um, and to get people really interested in art. I think the way that things are set up is that art and culture is seen as secondary, right? And not so much a part of our everyday world. And so to give a space where folks become interested in art or they want to learn more or even they want to take up a practice. I think that's, that's a part of the success for us. Um, and that on the other side with some of our exhibitions, the, the, some of the exhibitions that I'm thinking of is that people see themselves in the works or see their stories in the works, or it feels familiar, or there's a inside joke that they get that the artist is trying to convey um so I think that's also a part of it as well and as a curator what kinds of things do you have to think about that are unique to doing this job on a college campus yeah um I think about the ways professors can use this work um how students can engage with the space from what I was told by our really brilliant editor she tells us that a lot of like the level of understanding should be up to either a freshman or sophomore year, a college student, um, like understanding of things. But I think for me, it's, and, and luckily we have also a really great um, museum education team, but I'm thinking about how classrooms can use it not just humanities and social science, but even natural science, mathematics, engineering, how they can use the, the works that we have in our classrooms to bolster classroom experience, especially for students who, you know, simply reading the textbook, the idea might not click, but seeing it visually, seeing uh, artist interpretation um, of it might help support the learning. Um, so yeah, so a lot of it is that seeing us as a support system, just as like folks would go to the library to, you know, reference desk to help them understand things. I think for us is also to also act as a support system for classroom learning. I want to dig into something you said earlier, which was about identifying the gaps in the way stories are being told or in the way art history has been told. So what gaps are you currently seeing in your yeah. job? Yeah. Um, so, you know, w- the work that we're doing is happening at a really pivotal time where we had the, you know, the pandemic is happening. Then we had the protests and the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd. And in that protest, museums and um, cultural sites, cultural heritage sites were also called out for the ways that they are also contributing to racism, white supremacy, anti-Blackness. And a part of that conversation happened was around the kind of Western canon, um, which um, I listened to the episode with uh, Julia Liu. um, And she she hits on this a bit as well. The way that I guess art history is taught is that the, the Western canon is the foundation and everything else is kind of like the secondary, as opposed to saying that there are multiple histories that are happening around the same time. There are multiple things. And some of these things are also interconnected. Um, and why not give space 
to expand this conversation. I, I don't know if it's a really great example, but the exhibition that I'm working on or I worked on called Unsettling Histories, which focuses on 17th, 18th, and 19th century European and American portraiture in relation to colonialism and slavery. A really great example is Liz, like what, what's going on in the 19th century. So we have people who are, if you're wealthy, you have a portrait made of yourself, traditional oil on canvas type of portrait. But at the same time, we know at, in, the, in the middle, late 19th century, we see the developments of the camera and photography. So then suddenly folks who have a little bit of money can have a, a picture taken of them or, or a carte de visite. Um, my French isn't all that great. So if I said it improperly, you know, excuse me. But, you know, these small little cards that they can give to their families, calling cards that they can give to their families with their pictures on it. And so suddenly you can have a conversation about the democratizing of images. Who gets to be preserved um, in, in a snapshot, in a, in a portrait? Um, but then on the flip side, you know, it, it, this is not to say that folks who weren't white and wealthy weren't captured in portraits because there's there was an exhibition right around the time um, the pandemic happened um, in the Netherlands on Rembrandt and Rubens um, and the uh, and black figures. Uh, black subjects sitting for their portraits being taken, and so are we teaching that in our history? Some, some might be, and you know, I and I'm not, I'm not saying that folks aren't, but expanding this conversation about whose whose art historical narrative are we prioritizing is a question. Now, should it be prioritized? Should it be expanded upon, or should we get rid of it? I'm, I don't know the answer to that, and I'm so I, I can't really necessarily comment on it. But I think a part of it is actually questioning how we're thinking about history, how we're thinking about art in relation to the the history that we're learning, and whose narratives are missing, what silences are, are present. Is it because they just didn't exist up until a time period, or they weren't seen as worthy of recording or worthy of learning about? And so now our role as art historians, cultural keepers, curators, artists, what is our role in expanding that conversation or critiquing the conversation? That's kind of what what I've been thinking about, like this whole idea of expanding and and really critiquing and using critical thinking to like really, really think about what what silences, what absences um, are are we seeing? But how do you guide that conversation as a curator? One of the thing about absences by their very nature is they're not seen or heard. So how can curators know what they don't know? You know, I think a part of it is calling it out. Um, I think a part of it is digging into the archives. I mean, there's only so much we can we can guess. I think this is when we also bring in other tools. So if the art history part can't support this. What is the historical part that can support this? What is the anthropological part that can support this? Um, so bringing in other tools from other fields to see what who is actually having this conversation and what's happening. And then also, I think it's just calling out that the absence has happened and we cannot necessarily say that this thing didn't happen and other folks that are in maybe other fields 
that we can call on as well. That's the beauty of working at a university museum is that there is always somebody who who has studied this thing for like 18 years and they're like, okay, so your field can't really answer this, but these are the things that I'm seeing in my field that can probably help with this thing. Yeah, I guess to call out that the absence is is existing. Um, I remember when I was a senior, uh, we read something from Professor Taya Miles, who was formerly at U of M and is now at Harvard. She was actually the first person who helped me understand this whole idea of absence. A lot of her focus is on Black and Indigenous histories and relationships. And I remember like this whole idea of calling out silence or using someone like Sadia Hartman, who is a an amazing theorist who also talks about this absence or using um, it's a critical fabulation or what can we imagine from these absences, um, using the imagination to kind of like fill in the gaps as well. I think from like the, how I use art to do that is to, again, look at when this art was made and what can we what are things we can assume from this piece? What are things that we can st- we still have questions on? And and maybe also saying that we just don't know, but there are things that we're we're still forever learning and maybe in the future we'll know. How should a curator go about revising the record? Um, you know, if they discover that objects were lost or stolen, they should be sent back. Right. right? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And that's something we're working on right now with Wish You Were Here, which is around repatriation of African, repatriation and restitution of African art, um, which is being led by our interim chief curator, um, Laura DeBecker. What were the historical forces, colonialism being it, that led to the removal of these works? Um, What historically has also happened with, you know, with, indigenous communities and the stealing of bones, for examples, and the the, the creation of NAGPRA to help repatriate bones and other objects that were a part of indigenous communities. A part of, I guess, the role is to say that, is to admit. So I guess in the, in the case of repatriation, is to admit what we found to be transparent with our audience as possible to begin to rectify and right that wrong. Well, we can say that representation matters, but how do you put that into practice on a team? I was a little bit surprised, to be honest, to hear you say that all four of the curators on your team are women. Yeah. I don't think that is like common question mark for other institutions. So I've been having a lot of conversations with friends around representation matters based off of like what some of the work that they're doing. I have friends who are writers and working in like the film industry and all that stuff. And so we've had a lot of conversations about that. So for me, I, I, while representation matters is like representation is important. I want us to go beyond representation and being critical around what we're representing. There, there just has to be a better way of like thinking critically about representation. Um, I realize that in some of my work, because my, my role is the global person, that there is a duty to make sure that my lens is as expansive as possible. 
the lens of what my interest falls in is mostly Africa and, and the diaspora. So for me, it's a kind of like re also reworking to see what are other histories that I'm not, I'm not sure of what are other histories that I'm ignorant towards and who are my colleagues that can help me with that. Um, I, so I, so I think one thing is to say that I can't do it all, even though my role, my role is like kind of like the catch all for anything that's missing. And I think I, and it's also saying it and also recognizing that I can't do it all. And also taking a step back to say, Hey, this particular history is missing. While I'm not strong in this lens, there are colleagues who are stronger. Let me talk to them about what else is happening in their field. What else is happening in their lens? How can I connect these histories together or just see that these histories are happening at the same exact time and they have nothing to do with each other. But how can I support an artist who can speak to this issue? Um, a lot of it at times is like going on questions and interests. So my first acquisition was around histories of colonialism. So I looked at artists who have talked about colonialism through a global lens, who thought about it and then I was able to like yield artists who have, you know, um, family history in Vietnam, for example, or who have family history in the Caribbean, but their eye is on the U.S. and um, U.S.-based artists, but who looks at mythology, African mythologies, and and making connections between the the Black Atlantic, which is theorized by Paul Gilroy. So, like, I think so. It's really recognizing there are limits to your own lens. And so what that, what that results, what those limits yield, but then also luckily we works the, the, all of us, the curators, we work really closely with each other and with our colleagues in other departments to, to ask, Hey, you, you interact with these professors, professors. What are they asking for? What are they hoping that we have what are our students asking for? What are our students saying? What are they asking when you give them a tour? Hey, do you have such and such artists or do you have such and such thing from this country, this continent, which helps give us an idea as well? You have the luxury of a community around yourself that you can ask, what do you read or what, what can you do on your own to like continue to widen that lens? I read a lot or I attempt to read a lot as much as I possibly can. I think it's following other, um, looking outside of like, uh, painting, sculpture, mixed media. I watching movies because you know, what, what is, what is really nice artists that I really like do other references or they delve into other arenas. And so it's nice to like, I guess, learn in those ways too. Teen Vogue, if I'm not mistaken, they had a really great interview about the kind of um, booming of digital archives and especially on on Instagram. And so I tend to follow a lot of them because these are just histories that are really new to me and making connections between maybe music that I listen to and what's happening in the time period. And then that gets me interested in, in, in other things. So I think it's, yeah, so it's engaging in other and what's happening outside of my own balls in books on Instagram at times, um, movies, uh, and also what's happening with other colleagues. What are some of your favorite Instagram accounts? Oh, um, 
the Nolly Babes Instagram account, which is ran by two sisters who are based in uh, New York, if I'm not mistaken. And they are doing a really amazing work to archive um, old school Nollywood um, movies. Uh, so for folks who don't know, Nollywood is the Nigerian film industry and it is second in production, second in production right behind Bollywood and in front of the U.S., Hollywood, you know, Hollywood film industry, um, in producing films. And they have just done an amazing job of archiving movies from like the nineties and the two thousands, um, and giving flowers to, um, the, the kind of pioneers of Nollywood. Um, another, one of my favorites is, uh, Amy Saul, uh, she is the founder and editor of the Sunu journal. She just has an eye for early independence photography, um, and movies. And just, she, she's just so knowledgeable as she is very fashionable. Um, and she's also an adjunct professor at the new school. And then another favorite of mine is Ziba Blay, who is a cultural writer and author. And she does these kind of mood board Instagrams where every Sunday she says like, may your Sunday feel like, and she gives everything from um, uh, live performance to these kind of like, uh, you know, actresses or for, you know, black actresses in in these kind of relaxing states and, or cooking or, you know, so she's just really great at capturing mood at, at thinking, at thinking critically and, um, and, and intentionally about, um, culture. Um, and so she's another favorite of mine. How do you track your ideas and do you have any rituals around creating inspiration for yourself? No, I don't. I need to be better about kind of tracking my ideas because I get really overwhelmed about all the things I want to do. And so I have like several like sticky notes and all the saved tabs. And I see people say like, close all the tabs. And I'm like, no, you can't tell me what to do because I need every single tab <laughs> open. And so I need to get better about being organized about those types of things because mostly it's me telling like my amazing interim chief curator, like some of my ideas, but I'm not like holding it anywhere. So I need to do a better job of like doing that. Yeah. And I've heard again and again that like that sense of insatiable curiosity is something that drives so many curators. What other traits do you think are essential to being an effective curator? <sighs> um, for me, I think it's also like a, a dedication to supporting and protecting artists. I've had a, a really great conversations over the last, last year or so with, um, folks at the studio museum in, in Harlem who they have their museum professional seminar, which I was really fortunate to experience in the last couple of months to, um, the folks who are, um, the association of art, um, museum or museum art curators, AAMC professional curators of color program. And a lot of it is about protecting and a dedication to protecting artists and championing artists. And I think a real commitment to arts and culture and sharing it and making it accessible to 
folks who would not have experienced that. I know traditionally the field, the role of the curator is to think about exhibitions, think about how their exhibitions align with maybe the goals of the museum to, to think about the type of art we're championing. But I think things are starting to change where it's like those things are still important. And also um, this kind of care for the audience, care for the visitors who are coming in, care for the artists who we're going to be working with. Um, and so, so I think that's where I'm kind of orienting myself or like thinking about what, what, what's important or f- for me and maybe the future or other emerging art curators or, gallerists that I am in conversation with is that real care for artists, art communities, being cultural stewards, allowing folks who, you know, wouldn't have gotten the chance to be in the museum to, to access the art spaces as well. What do you think your generation of museum curators is bringing to the discipline? I think we are bringing in one part, our lived experience of, of being in art spaces and not necessarily feeling like we belong. So the question is, is that, do we want the seat at the table or do we want to break the table? Um, So I think that that's one question. I think the other question again, is this, this, this care for, well, what I hope is this care for community and this real engagement with arts and community. Um, I think also some of us want to see like the kind of end to the traditional ways of how the art world has run and really pushing the art world to um, really think about or really reflect on um, what has happened in the last couple of decades and how they haven't supported curators of color and how they've been pushed out of these spaces. And so I think a part of it is making sure that when entering these spaces, uh, that the same push out, the same turnover doesn't happen. And then for some, you know, in real conversations that I've had, they don't care to be a part of this, right? Their goal is to make another, a space where they can solely focus on their community. They can solely focus on their artists' community. Like the lens of big A, big W art world is not their focus at all. Museum world is not their focus at all. Their focus is making sure that their community gets to eat that kids in their community get to experience art in these new ways that are not about centering um, that art world, that are not about centering the powers that be, that say that this is legitimate art and this is not. Um, They're about breaking the table. They're about making sure that the the space doesn't exist. Um, And so I think that is the, the combination of what I'm, what I'm seeing in, in my colleagues and friends who are also coming up in, in, in very various parts of the art world. I loved where you were going when you were sharing some of your favorite Instagram accounts. I was furiously writing notes to check them out myself. So if we move into Ozzy's media diet and the things that you recommend that everyone read, watch, and listen, what else would you add to that list? Oh, 
this speaks to like my lens of the continent and the diaspora as of right now. So some of my favorite things that I've like over the two years that we've dealt with the pandemic, um, some of my other favorite places have been the African Film Festival of New York City. Um, and that was like my first virtual film festival just to like buy a film. And and I just really appreciate the work that they're doing to give visibility and recognition to um, uh, films that were um, ma- both mainstream and indie um, from the continent and in, in the diaspora. Um, and so so I, I really, I look forward like since the pandemic, I've looked forward to uh, renting a movie or buying a movie and just seeing what is a part of the festival. Um, books that I read over um, the pandemic, um, Akweke Mezi's Pet. Uh, they're a brilliant writer from born and raised in Nigeria. Um, their first book was Freshwater. Um, and they are as brilliant a writer as they are again very fashionable um their instagram account for their house is called uh shiny i think shiny shiny the god house um and they're on i think what might be their sixth or seventh book in the last like in a very short period of time but pet is a ya book um and it is just it is just beautifully written and i cried at the end of the book and um, I appreciate it when uh, authors make me care about the the lives of their characters and what the characters are doing, and I, I'm I was very invested in that book. Another book that I I can really relate to that I'm almost done with is Yeah Jesse's Homegoing, and again it's just it was beautifully researched, um, just beautifully beautifully written book. Another book that I'm really excited to read after I'm done with. Um, Homegoing is uh, Bolu Babalola's Love in Color. Um, Bolu is, is, again, brilliant writer based in the UK. Um, she is known as the romantic comedy con- connoisseur. So if you love romantic comedies, I would definitely like follow her on Instagram and, and also read Love in Color. And, it, and it's just it's such a beautiful cover. And I'm just so excited to read that. Um, artists that I'm interested in, Mary Sabande, who, uh, is South African based artist, Zanile Malloy, they are, um, also South, South African based artist. Um, I believe they're South African based, um, and, and they focus on photography. Mary Sabande focuses both on photography and sculpture and, and Jadeka Akuyili Crosby, who is a, an artist who born and raised in Nigeria, based in Los Angeles, who received the MacArthur Genius Grant uh, in, I think, 2018, 2017, uh, is also a brilliant painter, a artist herself. Um, and I'm really, really impressed with her work. And it's something I want to future in, in the future acquire for the museum. Other like arts organizations that I really love, um, Ano. Ghana, which is was founded by Nana Aforiata Aim, which is based in Accra. Um, she's the she was the curator of the of the Ghana Pavilion at the Venice Biennale. Koyo Kuyo, who's at Z- the Zeitz Museum of Contemporary Art in, in Cape Town, but is the founder of Raw Material Company. 
um, and Dakar, they're really rethinking about how how art is connected to community, how they're how they're supporting and preserving African art histories that are local to the communities that are surrounding their organizations. Um, CCA Lagos, which was started by the late BC Silva, and um, is also doing similar work. Um, and so um, those are like three arts organizations that I champion. And then music and podcast, um, the um, Afropop worldwide, especially with the explosion of Afropop and Afrobeats in the last year with artists like WizKid and Amore and Thames who have gotten really, really popular. That is my go-to place. Like if you want to know music of the continent and the diaspora, they're really great about giving a historical analysis and also contemporary analysis of the music that is that is happening and you will always hear music played throughout the episode and so if you're looking to bolster that spotify or apple music um, playlist that's a good place to go so much good stuff um you've mentioned nigeria several times i I should have asked you um were you born in nigeria or What's so, your heritage? Yeah, so I am Nigerian. I am uh, specifically Igbo. So my family is from the southeastern part of the country. And so they immigrated to um, Michigan in the mid to late 80s. And that is where I was born and raised. So what I, what I tell people is how I came to art and culture work is from this like longing for a connection to my heritage. So I grew up knowing that I was Nigerian, but I didn't really visit Nigeria as a kid um, because it was so, I mean, the, the, like the cost to take a family of four to, to Nigeria for how many ever weeks, months at a time is it's, it's just cost prohibitive. So my in, intre, interest and entrance into like learning about my culture outside of my parents was through music, art and film. And I think that's probably why those things are such a stronghold in my life. If you want to connect with Ozzy, you can email her at O-K-U-D-U-M-A at U-M-I-C-H dot E-D-U. Better yet, she invites you to visit her at the museum in Ann Arbor. Thank you to Rosanna Caban for editing. If you want to find out more about Flipboard, where enthusiasts are curating stories they recommend across thousands of interests, Download the app or head over to our website at Flipboard.com. Anyone can be a curator on Flipboard. Simply create an account and start flipping to share your ideas with the world.